An atheist says there is no God. So if there is no God, then there's probably no meaning in life. And if there's no meaning in life, that means you get to choose your own purpose, your own meaning in life. So basically, it means to sit back, relax, spend all of my time, my talents, and my treasure on me. And um, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Now, I want to show you a quote from one of the most famous atheists. This is, this is a rational, logical atheist. Check out this quote. Bertrand Russell said, Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. That's an honest atheist who would say, you know, without God, there's no reason to be here. So we've got a couple of options. Option number one is we believe that millions and 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 millions of years ago, there was this cosmic accident, this collision that happened in the dark because the sun wasn't there and no one was there to see it, but this accident happens. And out of that accident, millions and millions of millions, you got the whole idea. Later, here we are in 2007. We're, we're like the people that we are today. We have minds and we have this reproductive system. We've got this uh, immune system. We've got all of these systems. We've got this sophistication in our lives. And it all happened because of this wreck in the dark millions and millions and millions of years ago. Or, second option, we can take the biblical view. The biblical, biblical view says there is a God. God created this playground that we call earth. And he has a purpose and design for this creation. And as a part of that purpose and design, God created you. And therefore, by logic, that means God has a purpose and a design for your life. Now, most of you here believe there is a God. And I've got to be real careful with that word believe, because last week we talked about real faith. Remember we said real faith is not something that you just say, think, feel, or even believe. Real faith is something you what? Do. Real faith means you pursue some course of action. You demonstrate what you believe by the way you act. And so we say, if God created this world, or I'm going to take the other track, since God created this world, and He created it with purpose, this is on your listening guide, there is a purpose, God created this world with purpose, and that means by extension, since He created you, you have a purpose. Now I've got two more options. First option First, we said we got two options. You either believe that we're accident or that there is a God and He created us. I'm going with the God side. Now, we've got two options here. If God created us with a purpose and a design, then I have two options. The first option is I pursue God's purpose and design for my life. That means faith-based action. I do something to demonstrate that I really do believe in God. Or... We ignore God's purpose. So there is a purpose. you got two options. Pursue it. Ignore it. Now, how I ignore it is I discount everything that's in the Bible and I do things my way. I say, it's about me. And so I breathe precious air. I count the days on the calendar. But really, I'm not living. I'm just existing. The way I pursue God's purpose.
purpose, I got to get out of the chair and realize it's not about me, it's about God. Now, the real question is, who are you committed to? Are you committed to you or are you committed to God? That's the question that I want you to answer today before you walk out these doors. Are you committed to God or are you committed to you? Because here's why. Your commitments will define you. Tell me what you're committed to and I'll tell you where you're going to end up. I can tell you the trajectory of your life and I can probably get within a few years, at least certainly within, within a decade, of how your life is going to end up. Um, weak people are controlled and dominated and directed by circumstances. Strong people are controlled and dominated and directed by purpose and by their commitments. So what are your commitments? They will define you. At the end of your life, when someone stands up at your funeral, they're going to say what you were committed to. He loved that horse. He spent all of his waking hours grooming and feeding and petting and loving that horse. Okay, I, I like animals, but I don't want that to define my life. He loved his job. And by the way, when you're on your deathbed, I really doubt that you're going to ask for the horse to come in. You might, and that's between you and God, but... I doubt that you can say, I need to see the horse one more time. I wish I could have spent one more hour in my office. Ah! I could have met that deadline. No, you're going to wish you'd spent more time with your family. See, what I, what I want my family to say is, he loved his family and he loved the church. And he gave himself for those things. If I do that, then I consider my life a success. Last night I prayed for my children. God, I pray that they would fall in love with the local church because the local church is the hope of the world. I know that's right, baby. If y'all weren't here last week, I'll have to explain it to you later. The local church, when it's working right, offers you, offers you what nothing else offers you, and that is your five deepest needs. Now, this isn't on your listening guide, but you may just want, want to put this down. The local church offers you... Um, Principles to live by, purpose to live for, people to live with, profession to live out, and power to live on. You cannot get that anywhere else. Let me just tell you that again. It offers you a purpose to live for, people to live with, principles to live by, profession to live out, and power to live on. You name me one other organization that exists in the history of the world that offers that. There is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. Say it for me. I know that's right, baby. Thank you. Thank you. I know that's right, baby. Okay. Well... God says a lot about commitment in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that God is looking for people that He can use. But there's a, there's a small requirement if you're going to be used by God. And, and we're told that in 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is on your listening guides, or you can follow it up here. If you have your Bibles, turn along. I can't wait till we get in the new building. By the way, we're, we're waiting on financing. The, the bank has approved all of that stuff. There's just lots of stuff we're going through. Closing date is supposed to be October 15th. Um, and then it's going to take us a couple of months to renovate the new, the, the new, the old skating rink that will look new when we renovate it, and uh, we get to move in there. So pray that uh, all of these little steps continue to, to move forward. We're excited about being on the first floor. Praise God. Um, here's what Second Chronicles says: If you want to be used by God, 
Oh, and I was just going to tell you, in our new, in our new building, we're going to purchase Bibles that we can pass out and so you can turn. Woo-hoo. Second Chronicles 69. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. What's the requirement? Hearts fully committed. Circle the words fully committed on your listening guide or in your Bibles as you're following along. You have to be fully committed to be used by God. I hear people all the time, well, I never hear from God. Do you talk to Him? No. Um, Do you spend time in His Word because 95% of God's will for your life is right here? If it's drawing dust on the shelf or if it's one of those honking, you know, that you can beat up a robber with Bibles that sit on the the, uh, coffee table and never get opened, you're not going to know 95% of God's will for your life. 95% of it is right here. If you're not committed, God is not obligated to be involved in your life because you're on the throne, not Him. And He's never promised to help people who aren't committed to Him. So we've got to decide if we're going to be committed to God. He gives us a choice. He has purposes for our lives, but He doesn't force them on on us. He lets us choose. And when you choose to be committed to those things that God has called you to be committed to, you become all that God wants you to be. And life becomes an adventure, not just something you endure. But when you choose not to follow God's purposes, your life is less than what God intended. And from what I'm hearing over and over, most of our lives, even those who claim to follow Christ, are not what we want them to be, much less what God wants them to be. So there must be a problem. I'm saying check your commitments. There are three commitments that define your life. Three purposes that God has for you, and we're going to look at those today. Purpose number one, I must commit my life to Christ. Commit my life to Christ. What does it mean to commit my life to Christ? Romans 10.9 says this, For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, confess means I agree that something is true. If my children confess that they've done something wrong, that I already know they've done wrong, they're agreeing with me and probably with their siblings that what they've done is wrong. Confess means I agree with someone. So you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Lord is an old English term that means the dude in charge. He's the boss, the CEO. Too many times Christians will claim to believe in Christ, but they've got themselves on the throne and not God. That's not Lord. And by the way, there is nowhere in Scripture that you have this separation between the idea of Christ being your Savior and your Lord. Because all the time, especially in my background, the denomination I grew up in, accept Him as your Savior. And then people would come back 25, 30 years, 80 years later and say, you know, I really need to turn my life over to God and make Him my Lord. That's backwards. What the Scripture teaches is, you accept Him as Lord. You bow before Him and confess, He is Lord. He's the dude in charge. And as a byproduct of that declaration, you're saved. Make sense? Nowhere do you get fire insurance. I just want to be saved from hell. Well, yeah, so do all of us. But it costs you your life in order to get that byproduct. You confess Him as Lord, and then it says, you believe that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. So, Easter is all about Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He's the only founder of any world religion that is no longer in the tomb. 
It just blows my mind that people want to follow dead guys. I follow a risen Savior. I confess He's the dude in charge in my life, and I believe that He's alive. I want to follow someone who's conquered death because death is the thing that I don't understand. I don't remember how many funerals I've done, but I know at those funerals, I don't understand death. I don't understand the pain and the suffering that we see when when I'm standing up there trying to give somebody some hope to believe in. And let me tell you, the worst funeral to preach is someone you know has busted hell wide open. That is the worst funeral to preach. You spend about this much time on their life because who wants to hear they were dedicated to the horse if they're burning in hell? And then you say, okay, let's use their lives as an example of what not to do. Let's, let's think about our future in heaven. I've got to commit my life to Christ, say He's Lord, believe that God raised Him from the dead. This is the first issue. But this is just the foundation. How many people do you know that when they're building a house and the foundation is done, they throw a foundation warming party? What are you going to do? Put some sticks over there and roast marshmallows? Woohoo! Our foundation's done. Yeah! I've never seen that yet. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe you'll do it now. That's the foundation. Nobody gets excited until the house is built and done. Well, the foundation of your spiritual life is I commit my life to Christ. But there is another thing He wants you to commit to, and that's number two. Once you commit your life to Christ, God has called you to commit to a local church. Now, some of you are going to... Uh-uh. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Don't argue yet. 1 Peter 1.3 God has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. Circle that word, members. Did you know that Christians, that that the church is where this idea of membership started? Now it's all, you know, American Express and everybody has cheapened membership. The original idea of membership came from being a part of God's family, a member of God's family. He doesn't expect you to go through life without support. You are not supposed to handle problems on your own. Support, encouragement, other people around you, that's this family God created, and it's called the church. And we've said, you know, you may have messed up relationships in your family. Let me take that back. You have messed up relationships in your family. We all do. And sometimes we can't ever mend those because other people won't let us mend those. Well, guess what? God's given you a new family called the church. Now, I'll just warn you up front, we're just as jacked up as your relatives, but we're committed to loving you anyway. We're weird and you can be a part of our family. Come on, because we'll accept anybody. I mean, that's what Christ said. He said, they'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And we, we preach and we practice this radical love for anybody, any background. But that also means sometimes you have to confront problems. You ignore problems. That's how you get messed up in relationships in the first place, is ignoring problems, sweeping them under the rug. Finally, they get so big that you have to walk around the problem. We've just declared whatever God's Word says, that's how we're going to handle problems. And Matthew 18 and 15 and following says how to do it. So anyway, that's another story for another day. Okay. Um, You need the family of God in your life. Just like a, a child without a family is an orphan, A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan, and that is contrary to Scripture. You say, I believe. Woo, you're halfway there. you got the foundation. But Christianity is more than just believing. Christianity is belonging. 
There are over 50 commands in the New Testament you cannot obey if you're not a member of a church. The Bible says in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. How can you be devoted to someone you don't spend any time with? Guys, try to convince your wife that you are devoted to her when you never spend any time with her. And I'm not even going to ask your wives to stand up and tell me, you know, the answer to that first question we had. What do you spend most of your time doing? Because they'd be honest. <laughs> They'll tell us and, and you wouldn't like it, probably. Um, tell your children. Try to get them to buy the idea that you love them and you don't ever spend any time with them. To a child, to a spouse, love equals T-I-M-E. Well... If you're not spending any time with the local church, your spiritual life will wither and eventually cease to exist. Usually the first sign of spiritual decline is, is um, people falling away from meetings where Christians are going to gather, whether that's church, small group, Sunday school, Bible study, whatever. They avoid Christians. And, and that's the indication that their life is moving away from God, not moving toward God. Now, the person who says... The person who says, I don't need the church, is either ignorant or arrogant. And let me explain how I know that. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave His life for it. Jesus died for the church, so don't you dare tell me it's insignificant. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Don't come up to me and say, Doug, I love you, but I can't stand Janie. Now, none of y'all can imagine that, so let me tell you, real-life situations happened at least twice in our marriage. People have walked up to my wife and said, we love you, Janie. And then they'll look at me. We don't hang out with those people. Because <laughs> if you don't like my wife, you got problems if you don't like my wife. If you don't like me, I totally understand that. But don't expect my wife to be your close friend if you can't stand me. If you say to Christ, I love you, Christ, but I can't stand your bride, that's not cool. James, you're on the front row again. Come here. Come here. Stand right here. James is a good... Y'all remember when he walked like Ashley? That was really cool. We need to do that again sometime. I'll pass on that. You'll pass on No, I won't make you do that. Now, saying... I like you but not your bride, or saying I like you but not your body would be like saying to James, you know, dude, from here up, you're okay. But this stuff, got to go. I can hang with you but not this. Now, James is a good sport. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. That is what you're saying to Christ when you say, I love you, Jesus. I can't stand your body. Make sense? He died for that body. I would die for my wife, so don't come criticize her to me. And you want to see my little five foot three inch wife get hot? Attack me. Years ago, we were in another church years ago. And, and it was a. The whole issue was where we were going to youth camp. See, I made the mistake of thinking that since I was the youth minister, I could choose where I wanted to take the kids to youth camp. 
Silly Doug is exactly right. This was a rather large church. I had to go around to all the adult Sunday school classes and explain to them why I wanted to change youth camps. And in one Sunday school class, a, quote, leader of the church ripped me to shreds. And the mistake I made was allowing my wife to come with me. Because from that point forward, it became very difficult for her to worship in that church. Because this guy was not filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what he was filled with, I would call an unholy spirit. Had nothing. This guy was not even involved. He didn't have kids around. In fact, his kids were far from God. And part of the reason was they'd gone to this youth camp. Do not attack the body of Christ. And expect to be close to Christ. And let me just give you this. This is free. Every time you go somewhere and someone says something about new life. See, I don't think we have a right to say anything about any other church. Because we're not there. But if you come here, people may ask you about our church. They may say some things. You have two buckets every time somebody says something about New Life Community Church. One bucket is water. And if they're trying to start a little fire, you chunk water on it. You say, I love New Life Community Church. Doug is screwed up. (laughs) But God's called me to love him. The other bucket you have is gasoline. And somebody's trying to start a little fire about new life, you can fan that into flame because you've got all kinds of ammunition. Because you've been here. And you have a choice to make. Am I going to love the body of Christ? Or do I just use the body of Christ? Too many churches are filled with people who use the body. They don't love the body. I'll get off my high horse. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Love your spiritual family. I've been reading this. I've read it cover to cover several times. Been, been a Christian since I was six. Been a really trying to grow Christian since probably 23. And, and I've read the Bible cover to cover. And what I've, what I've found is it doesn't contain helpful suggestions. They're commands from the living God. This is not a suggestion. If you feel like it, love your spiritual family. (laughs) Love your spiritual family. Seems pretty plain to me. God didn't mean for you to go through your life on your own. First you commit your life to Christ. Then you commit your life to a local family, the church, this family He's created. Because, see, Satan loves to isolate believers. If he can get a believer that's unplugged from the church, unaccountable to spiritual leaders, just totally isolated from the church, he knows they are powerless against his evil plans. And he will take you down. And then he will mount you, mount your head, like we have a deer head mounted, my first one I ever killed. That's a trophy. And he wants to mount your spiritual head to say, see, see, there's another Christian who said they believed, but their actions didn't prove it. Now, we're all hypocrites. we said this before. And actually, some of you said, hey, you said we're hypocrites. Yes, we are. We're all hypocrites. Let's just admit it. I don't mean to be, but I am. The church isn't perfect. My wife isn't perfect. She knows I'm not perfect. 
I was real picky about who I was going to marry because I knew it was going to take somebody with this unbelievably devoted heart to love me the rest of her life. Yes, thank you. And, and so I was real picky about who I was going to marry because I, I, I didn't want to have an unhappy marriage and I didn't want to be a statistic. And so she has this incredible devotion to me and that's the same type of devotion we're supposed to have to each other. You may be weird. You are weird. But God has called me to love you. Move from being a spectator to being a participator. Move from being a consumer to being a contributor. Move from being an attender to actually being a member. And if you don't join here, join somewhere. We'd love to have you here. In fact, our 101 class is next week. What we do in our 101 class, it's discovering church membership. We want you to know exactly what we believe. We give you a booklet. The core doctrines that we believe are right in the middle so that when you open up the staple, is right in the middle of the core doctrines. And then we're going to ask you, if you believe... First of all, we're going to ask you if you've committed your life to Christ. You can't be a member of His family if you've not committed your life to Christ. Then we're going to say, do you believe God is calling you to be a member of this local church? And we're going to ask you to sign a card, a commitment card. Part of that commitment is, I will attend faithfully. I will not talk badly about my church. I will give regularly to my church. That's what we're going to ask you to do in 101. So if you signed up and that sounds bad, go scratch your name off. We want you to know up front what we believe. And then we're going to ask you to commit to it because we believe you become what you're committed to. Your life will be defined by your commitment. So commit to the local church. If the local church is the hope of the world, why would you spend so much time anywhere else? Okay. Number three. I commit myself to spiritual growth. I commit to spiritual growth. True or false? All healthy things grow. True. I want you to look at this picture. Now, there are two things dear to me here. One is much more dear than the other. Um, this is Hannah. She's my youngest, and she's seven. This is her new cat, Fluffball, um, named Tiger Pounce Washburn. She couldn't decide between Tiger and Pounce, so Pounce is the middle name, and it's okay if you call it Tiger, which most of us do. Um, this thing sleeps in Caleb's shoe. Caleb wears like a size, actually prefers his Crocs. You all know what Crocs are? It, it'll come and it'll put his little head on top of the little part that goes over the top of your foot, put his head there, and just fall asleep in his Croc. I mean, this thing is little bitty. Tiger is little bitty. Now, both of these things are dear to me, and so what do both of these things need to grow? Love? I can't survive on love alone, I'm sorry. Food, water, and protection or shelter. Now, if we provide Hannah and Tiger with the basics of food, water, shelter, and love, what, do we, what, what is our natural expectation five years from now? That they will grow. Hannah and I were actually talking about this because last night she said, why are you using my picture in your sermon? And she also said, Daddy, every time you mention my name, I get a glow stick. Some of you have already forgotten how many times I've mentioned it. Um, but we were talking about this and I said, if we feed Tiger and give Tiger water and protect Tiger, what do we expect? Because see her last cat? Wes is laughing because 
I have never seen a cat before that I assumed had no brain in its head. Her last cat. I'm serious. We think it was brain damaged. You'd be talking to the cat and the cat would be this way looking past you. You're standing over here. Penny, Penny. Penny. And sometimes she'd go. Dumbest cat I've ever seen. In my, we honestly think it was brain damaged. And I think she's probably still in existence somewhere going, who am I? Where am I? Because dude, she would be, she'd be on the trailer in the, in the driveway. You'd drive in. Anyway, I think something bad happened to Penny. But what I, the official explanation is Penny ran away. Um, so, anyway, we got this new cat. And if we provide the basics for this new cat who seems to have a brain... By the way, Penny couldn't meow either. I'm serious. She couldn't purr and she couldn't meow. We have a normal cat now. And we're going to feed and protect and water this normal cat. And we expect it will grow. We expect Hannah will grow as well. Well, <laughs> the deal is, food, water, and... Um, Shelter for a Christian. Worship, fellowship, prayer, discipleship, evangelism, ministry, serving. That's food and shelter for a Christian. And if we offer those things, we have this natural expectation that you will grow. Um, we were talking about this this week and we tried to figure out what is it that keeps us from growing spiritually. And here's a list that we came up with. Look at this list and see if you can identify with any of these things. Kids, if you have young children in the house, we used to always talk about, um, when I was growing up, they said, you need to have a daily quiet time with the Lord. If you have little children, there is no quiet time in your home. Maybe we should say you should have a dull roar time with the Lord. Um, <laughs> Charles and John Wesley, their mom had 17 children. Tell me she had a quiet time. No. She would pull her apron over her head and she would tell the kids, do not disturb me when I'm under the apron because I'm spending time with the Lord. Can you just see the kids? Anyway, we won't go into that. But you need to have a time with the Lord. If you're not spending time with God, then, then you're not going to grow. Um, but your kids will learn from you if you can have... Even five minutes say, Mom has to spend some time reading her Bible. They understand that. Give them a kid's Bible with pictures and say, You read your Bible while Mommy reads her Bible. Anyway, that's an idea. How about the television or the Internet? I can say this because this isn't one of my vices. So any of you spend time on MySpace? <laughs> Reluctantly, some people are raising their hands. Any of you spend maybe more time than you intend on MySpace? Again, fewer hands and they're getting lower. Now, um, here's, here's the whole deal with any of these things. These aren't necessarily bad unless they rob your time from God. Now, I'm not telling you you should spend, let's say you spend two hours on MySpace, I'm not telling you to go spend two hours reading the Bible. Dude, you get over into Ecclesiastes, actually you get into Leviticus, you'll get bogged down in Leviticus. Numbers, numbers that's all it is, is numbers. 
But I'm going to tell you, if you're not spending time with God in His Word and with His people, then you're not going to grow spiritually. Um, All of these things have a price to them. When you spend time on these things, it means other things in your life get taken away. So we've got to do these things in moderation. Job, recreation, hobby, video games, fantasy football. Some of y'all do fantasy football. To me, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But then some of you, some of my friends think UFC is the dumbest thing they've ever heard of somebody watching. Yeah, Jason, huh? No, I don't understand that one at all. I love UFC. But, I mean, any of these things, oh, wow, lazy. No, nobody here wants to admit that. Or poor time management. Here's the point. Everybody wastes their time on something. We can look at our schedule and say, that's actually a waste of time. We did a study years ago. Actually, the ladies just went through it called Experiencing God. And one of the times you're supposed to list in this column, it's, it's got this heading and then a, two columns. Over here, all the things that you are spending your time on that, that don't last, that are temporary. Man, you can fill that up. And then the other column is, what are you spending your time on that lasts for eternity? Kind of brings it into focus that maybe I waste a lot of my time. If these things are taking priority over God, then, then there's a problem. And in my belief, the churches that I've been in, I've been in a number of churches, been on staff a number of churches in, in Texas, I believe every church in America has a problem. You know what that problem is? Too many spiritual babies. Now, now let, me, let me just say this. Spiritual babies are not the problem in themselves because the Bible says when you step across the line of faith, you become a Christian, you are a spiritual baby. Yay for spiritual babies! The problem is... When two years from now, five years from now, 50 years from now, you are exactly the same as you were when you supposedly met Christ. When, when attendance and having a pew named after you makes you a spiritual giant in a church, something's wrong. Because I know people that are mean, angry people and someone says, oh, they're devoted to the church. Let's make them chairman of the deacons. Simply because they've been there longer than anybody else. And, and I have actually reacted in horror and going, no, you cannot make that person a deacon. And then we have. And I've watched churches begin this spiritual decline because the leaders weren't committed to spiritual growth. See, in our church, we have meetings like this already, but there ought to be these alarms going off. We ought to have high-level meetings, cabinet-level meetings. Why are people not growing in the Lord? And we need to figure out ways to do it. How do you think we came up with the idea of dare you to move? Because we said we cannot let our people remain spiritual babies. We've got to challenge them to take a step and commit to spiritual growth because that's one of the things that God expects. Whether you realize it or not, you're in a battle. And here's, here's Satan's strategy. First thing is he wants to keep you from coming to Christ. He wants to take as many people to hell with him as possible. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. God does not send people to hell. They choose hell when they reject Jesus Christ. And he wants as many people there as possible. And it will not be a party. It will be utter torment and agony. But if he loses that battle and you become a Christian... Then he wants to keep you isolated from the local church. Don't go there. Don't go there. Those people are hypocrites. Don't go there. 
Because He knows you will not grow like God wants you to because God designed you. When He created Adam and Eve, the Bible says, God said, let us create man in our image. Who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God existed in this perfect community and He established two um, two different communities here on earth. One was the family. Adam and Eve, God created the family. Saw something wasn't good, Adam was alone. He created Eve, said, be fruitful, multiply. That means have babies, have families. When Jesus Christ came, He made the second institution, and that is the family, the local church. Those are the two creations. And Satan's going to do everything he can to mess up the family, your physical family, and your spiritual family. So you commit to those things, and if you commit to the church, then there's one other thing that Satan's going to do. He's going to try to make you too busy to apply the things that God tells you to do because then he makes you ineffective and he wins. So we've got to be committed. God has a different plan. God says, I want you to represent me to a lost and dying, dying world. That's plan A and there is no plan B. He said, I want you to think the way Jesus thought. I want you to feel the way he, about the world the way he felt about the world. I want you to do the things that Jesus did. And you will never know those things apart from this. It's the record of his life. From the first page to the last, you can find this thread that points to Jesus Christ. And He wants us to become like Christ. And I'm going to tell you the secret of spiritual maturity right here. Here's the secret. Don't tell anybody else. You want to be more like Jesus? Spend time in His Word and spend time with His people. It's a secret. Don't let that get out of here. This has the mind of Christ. This has the path to Christ. And the amazing thing is that we don't spend time in it. So if you don't spend time here, don't expect to hear from God. And then if your friends are not leading you to Christ, there's, there's only two options. Your friends lead you to Christ or away from Christ. Maybe you should choose some new friends. Would you say that Michael Vick's friends helped him out? Michael Vick, quarterback, Atlanta Falcons. He was covering for his homies. He wasn't going to say anything. I'm innocent. I don't know anything. He lied to the commissioner of the NFL. He lied to the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. And then when, when the rubber meets the road, when the heat came down, all of these buddies turned on him so that Michael Vick had to plead guilty. I don't know nothing about dog fighting in my house. All of his buddies said, he bankrolled it. So he, he, he's going to jail because he allowed his friends to influence him. Maybe it's time to grow up and get new friends. Look what the Bible says. This isn't me. Look at the Bible. Hebrews 6.1 So let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go instead and become mature in our understanding. That's a nice way of saying grow up. Spiritually grow up. If you're going to grow spiritually, you've got to get into the Bible. And you've got to get around God's people. Now, how many of you believe that the answers to life are on television? How many of you believe that the answers to life are on MySpace? Newspaper? People Magazine? Us Weekly? No? No takers? How many of you believe that the answers to life's questions are in God's Word? Okay. So why will we spend time with stuff that we don't believe contains the answers and neglect the only thing that does? I'm just asking. 
If I've got a problem, I need to get in this book. Now, thanks. Uh, it took a while to erase that, didn't it, Dwayne? Sorry about that. Now, I realize that, that I'm talking to people at all different levels of spirituality. So let's, let's consider the alphabet. Let's just break this down and make this simple. A, B, C, D, okay, and so on, da, 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 all the way to Z. Now, let's say that A represents someone who is far from God. If you are far from God, and, and that's, we're the church for people who don't like church, we want people who are far from God here. If we don't have any of those folks, we're messing up because that's what, that's what we built this church to do. If you're far from God, maybe the next step for you, where you need to move from, from the chair, maybe the next step for you is come back. Come on back. We welcome you. You've come one time, maybe you've come twice, come back again. Make a commitment. I'm going to come back again. I'm not sure about this dude. It's kind of weird, but I'll give it another shot. All right, so that would be A to B. Your, your B step is, is I'm going to come back. Now, maybe, maybe you're a Christ follower, but you've not ever plugged into a church. Your step would be plug into a church, this one or some church, get involved in the local church. Don't do that because I say so. Do that because you go and you study the Word and you say, wow, this church thing matters to Jesus. Maybe if I want to be like Jesus, I should be involved in a church. That would be your step is move one. Maybe you've committed your life to Christ. Maybe you've even wanted to join the church, but you've not ever been baptized. We have good news for you today. Two weeks from today, right here in this corner, in warm water, not cold water, we will be baptizing people. I think we've got about eight people that have signed up to be baptized. And if you're interested in that, just hang, hang around after church today because I need to talk to you just real quickly about what all that involves. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're plugged in, you're baptized, what's the next step? Maybe, maybe you need to start praying. Maybe you need to start reading the Bible. Maybe you need to plug into small group because you're not hanging out with enough of God's people. You see, we can, we can worship in this crowd, but we can't fellowship in this crowd. I guarantee you no fellowship has gone on while I've been talking to you. Right? Hopefully, I mean, what I prayed last night was, God, you've got to take this message somewhere because I have no power. Take this message and apply it to people. If you do, praise God. Life change only happens if the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to your heart. So if God takes it, yay, God! But you want to know where you really learn? It's not sitting in rows looking at me. It's sitting in circles discussing life with each other. My small group meets tonight. We had a blast last week. We, we can't do it in the time, but we have to because we've got to come pick up children, you know. Uh, we like each other. And you are welcome to come to my small group, my house, 115 Longhorn, tonight. You don't have to bring anything. Just come check it out. If you don't like us, then, you know, you can try somebody else's. And we won't have our feelings hurt because we like each other. And if you don't like us, that's okay. But maybe that's your step. You need to plug in a small group. Maybe you've got some junk in your past and you need to get in to celebrate recovery. I'm going to keep saying it until everybody's gone through it. Because we all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I did it for a year. And I think it was some of the, the deepest spiritual growth that I've had. And I love Jeff, but it wasn't Jeff's teaching. My, my fondest memories of recovery are sitting in a circle downstairs with five, six sometimes eight other men, 
when they had the courage, God, it was incredible. And this, you could feel the Spirit of God in the room when somebody would take off their mask and they'd say, can I tell you where I struggle? And then there's this hesitance because they don't know if they can trust you. And then they share something that they think is just the most awful thing that could ever happen. And you see sets of eyes look back at them and say, dude, that took courage to share that. Thank you for trusting us. We're going to pray for you. God's going to get victory in your life. And the Spirit of God invades the room. Small group, my most fond memories of small group are when somebody that doesn't usually talk says, can I share with you what's going on in my life? My fondest memories are when we break up and pray and two or three folks pray together and people just pour out their heart. That's where life change happens. As much as I'd like to think it doesn't necessarily happen here. God doesn't call... This is the super saint. This is Billy Graham. God's not going to call a letter A to jump to a letter Z in the next ten minutes. What we're trying to do is we're daring you to move one step. If you've been coming, you hadn't joined, join. If you've joined and you hadn't been given, you signed a card saying you'd give. <laughs> you know? If you haven't been tithing, you've been given, maybe it's time. Take a step. Because if you go around, you talk to people in our church who do small group, you talk to people who do recovery, you talk to people who are tithing, people who are serving. And you say, God, don't you wish you had that money back? Don't you wish? I've never heard anybody who tithes say, really, if I had that 10%, man, my life would be off the charts. Most people say, I wish I could give more. Because this matters. I want you to take your registration cards. I want you to fill out the front side. And then on the back, we've got more this week.